theme music that we don't have. I was like playing around with like if I could sing the theme music. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, so I was like like jamming by myself. What would it be? I don't know. I was like I was like Bree and Anthony review review <laughs> review and it was kind of like I was making fun of parroting a Zach Stone. It's gonna oh, be famous as like Bree and, and Anthony, Anthony I review do. movies, <laughs> making a podcast <laughs> and, and recommending treats. I like it. Uh, maybe a loyal viewer at some point can actually like record that. I don't know how um, talented you are in digital mm. instruments. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Listen, okay, so th- this has been a giant mess today. Yeah, so this has been a giant mess today. I've spent nearly three hours, around three hours, trying to figure out what the problem was with our audio because we did a test run on the podcast the other day and the audio because we're working with two mics back and forth i'm not an audio engineer i don't know diddly squat about sound sound mixing um i'm learning though i learned Mm -hmm. a lot about sound mixing in the last three hours i don't know what i did to fix it but it's fixed. We're, we're living on a prayer Yeah, here. and initially we were going to upload this and in, in live stream and on Twitch, but I think we're growing past Twitch. I think we're just going to stick to the YouTube and Spotify. So yeah. that's where you're going to find us from now on. Sorry to the friends who wanted to watch us live. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, what do we happen. get on Twitch? Like two viewers and one of them is Meeks? Yeah, I'm sorry, Meeks. <laughs> yeah, go follow, go follow Meeks on Twitch. Uh, uh, Twitch.tv slash Ace Attorney Meeks. We'll put it in the uh, description. You can go follow Meeks. Um, you can follow me as well. I don't live stream, but uh, Twitch.tv slash GLDTV. Um, I don't live stream anymore. We stopped in favor of doing this podcast, and I got burnt out of, of streaming um, that's a story for another day. Uh, we get burnt out a, a lot of the time on different things. The only thing we truly do love, Anthony is very, very good at. I'm flustered right now, yeah. if you can't tell, because <laughs> of the past three hours of trying to fix this. Um, we're really, really flaky people, um, but we do like movies, and this has been something that we've been talking about for a while, so we're we, excited. We've been, we've been talking about doing a podcast for, like, at least since quarantine. I think quarantine was the first time where we were like, we should record a podcast, and then we didn't, and then I started streaming, and then we didn't record a <laughs> podcast, and then I stopped streaming, and we got a dog, and busy, then we didn't year. do anything after that. <laughs> um, now the dog is roaming around the other room, so you might hear him jingle jangling, squeaking his toys in the background. Because once again, we are not audio engineers. This is in our like little guest room of our house. Um, you can tell the walls are quite barren. Um, everything looks very amateur, but you know what? We're having fun. Yeah, I like this. This is fun. So, so okay, Bree. Why don't we get into it? Um, first of all. Let me ask you a question. What's your question? What scares you? You know what really scares me? Student loan debt. Because mm. I got I got a significant amount yeah. of student loan yes, debt. Yes, you do. Um. <laughs> to which when we started dating, <laughs> she said, one of the first things you said to me was, now your debts are mine. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> it's like, now my, de- my debts are yours. And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> But really, then we went to buy 
the house that we're in, and we found out that actually he has more personal debt because my most of my debt is under my mom's name. Um, so shout out to mom for taking on that financial burden for me. Mm-hmm. I still pay it, but it's under her name, so it doesn't show up on my credit checks. Sure. Thanks, mom. Yeah. But student loan debt is quite terrifying uh, yeah, when pay... you just look at that big number and you see uh, all that... All that the number that never changes. I was like, I was telling Bree this the other day. I have I pay off my a uh, little bit of my student loans, you know, at the halfway point of each month, and um, I swear to God, this number has not gone down. I'm gonna be completely honest with you. Like, I'm so glad for the forbearance of student loans because I pay, I pay like seven hundred dollars a month back. Mm-hmm. And I have a 20 year plan, so I'll be back. It's gonna be a while. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> Scary thoughts. I'm like, I'm gonna tell my kid, you go to a trade school, you gonna do a trade, don't go to college. I <laughs> that's so bad, but like what I went to school for teaching. You have to go to college to be a teacher. I love teaching. If any of my coworkers or my boss find this, I love teaching. I just like sometimes I I'm like, well, did I choose correctly? Did I? And that's a scary thought, too. Right? Because I'm like, I love what I do, but did I choose correctly? Like, this is a lot of financial burden for a job that doesn't pay well. Okay, let's get into what we're actually here for. Um, I was going to say, like, some other stuff that scares me. I'm like, climate change scares me. Well, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of scary movies. So, uh, yeah. We're here to talk movies, though. Yeah. And this is the Review Podcast, and you can see it is a, a play on words, so to speak. Uh, review, we are reviewing movies, and also reviewing movies. Many of the movies that we're going to be talking about are movies that we've I, one of us has seen at least once. Um, Important. And, yeah. And, you know, I think the end goal of all of this is to compile a list of our 100 best movies of all time. If we were to put all these movies in a time capsule millions of years in the future when climate change has devastated the entire world and... Uh, aliens. It was like we've never been here at all and the next species comes... Aliens. And they find this, they're going to say these are the best movies of all time. Um, the mermaids are the ones who survive. Yes. And all of our movies on our list are going to be different, probably. Um, we're each going to have our respective lists. And by the end of 2022, by the end of the year, we'll take a look at our list and we will maybe put it in order, maybe combine the list and we'll see what we've got. See. I don't think we'll get to 100 movies by the end of the year. I don't know. However, we'll see where we're at. And if we get a list of 100 and we still want to keep doing this, we'll compile another list of 100, a separate, a secondary list. If, if aliens had found all of these <laughs> movies and then said, we want more. Give us more. Yeah, then that's where the secondary list would come. But we're talking way in advance. We don't want to get into that right now. Um, the first movie. If you couldn't already tell by the decor on the table, we're talking about Halloween 1978. Our first movie is Halloween 1978, directed by John Carpenter, written by both John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Um, I believe the movie, and I might be wrong, I, the last I googled it a few hours ago before our tech snafu and I forgot everything that I was going to talk about, um, I believe the movie 
and its theatrical run made about $70 million. And in 1978, that's kind of a big chunk of change for a movie that costs, I believe, $300,000 to make. I believe that's the money that Mustafa Akkad, one of the producers, gave, uh, gave the film crew to make. Um, I think that's it. Don't quote me on that number. But I know it was really low. And for the time, a $70 million paycheck out of all this is uh, quite, quite, quite the income. Now, I'll say this straight up, and this might be a spoiler for the end of our episode. Um, as you can tell by our decor and even by my uh, water bottle up here that has little Michael Myers on it, um, this is probably my favorite movie of all time. And this is not only a review of this movie for me, this is probably like the 30th or 40th review. Well, we're, if we're going to be honest with our viewers right now, we're starting off with this movie and our like engagement photos were done. And we have Michael Myers this is in our engagement. Like we have yeah. a lot of love for this character. So this is where we wanted to start. And sorry, the dog is right here. And he has a squeaky toy. <laughs> yeah, he, he will come and bother us once in a while. But uh yeah, I can't control him. He's a good boy. Though. He is a good boy. Uh, so you might hear some squeaking in the background. However, uh, Halloween, 1978. This is probably our millionth time rewatching this movie. I think we watch it at least once a year. <laughs> I have to is, say, the like, dog squeaking in the background. He's, he's a cutie. Um, he would not be here if it was not well, there for this is. movie. There he is. Hang on. You can't really see him. He's, he's coming. He's right here. For our uh, video Hello. our video viewers, you might be able to see him over on the side. He's climbing up on Bree right now. Uh, yeah, this movie is very near and dear to our hearts and very near and dear to our relationship. Yeah, we started dating on Halloween night while watching the movie Halloween Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is a really significant movie for our relationship, and it's just a really good movie. So let's get so, into so it. So let's get down to it. Um, all right. We're going to try to knock this thing out going step by step, kind of story beat by story beat in the film. The first thing we see when we open up is the image of the pumpkin, right? That image of the pumpkin with the kind of circular kind of triangular eyes what did you think about that so funny like with the pumpkin it doesn't look like a pumpkin because i don't think it was a pumpkin yeah so that's a pretty famous story uh from the production of the movie where john carpenter and crew were filming the movie not in illinois because the movie takes place in the fictional town of Haddonfield, Illinois, based upon uh, Haddonfield, New Jersey, which is where Deborah Hill was from. Uh, Deborah Hill being co-writer and producer of the movie and John Carpenter's girlfriend at the time. Uh, go her. Yeah, go her. She's actually, Deborah Hill went on to produce a lot of big movies uh, in her career and kind of trailblazed that idea of the female uh, film producer. But the story about the pumpkin, I think... If I'm remembering it correctly, the film crew, they were filming this not in Illinois, but they were filming it in California, not during the fall, but during the summertime. And it's quite hard to find pumpkins in the summer 
albeit in California as well. Yeah, so I think the story is they found some like large gourds and they had to paint them orange. Yeah, they only had like a few pumpkins, I think. And one of those pumpkins being a pumpkin we see later. Uh, yeah, and, which we'll, we'll, which get, we'll into. get into. Yeah. Um, they also had to reuse leaves. <laughs> they, they had to reuse leaves so whenever they would film a scene where there were leaves on the ground or leaves were blowing uh tommy wallace the producer would also uh like kind of rake up the leaves and so they can use it for a future scene that's indie filmmaking at its finest honestly just like use whatever's at your disposal and figure out the rest later um but we get to that opening shot of the pumpkin and the beautiful, beautiful, iconic Halloween music uh, scored by John Carpenter, who at the time um, was in a band with uh, producer Tommy Lee Wallace and uh, the guy who plays the shape, um, Nick Castle. They were in a band called the, and I'm trying to remember, it, the Coupe de Villes. They're in a band called the Coupe de Villes. And they played like a lot of psychedelic music, but Carpenter was like really good with um, being able to score things and from my knowledge about like the stories I hear about the production of this movie it was like John Carpenter didn't even want to do it really um, the producers uh, came to him and basically said we liked your previous movie Assault on Precinct 13 and we want to make a movie that's like really really cheap because at the time they were filming I think Lawrence of Arabia and that was like a big budget Hollywood movie and they just didn't want to do it again. So um, the producer, um, I believe his name is Erwin Yablitz. I'm pr maybe pronouncing that incorrectly, but um, this is why I write down names and I didn't write down that guy's name. I'm just trying to get it from memory. But uh, he, I think, went up to Carpenter and they hammered out a deal to make this movie. He said, I have an idea for a movie called The Babysitter Murders. And, Horrible name. Yeah. Um, and Carpenter was like, okay. And he wanted to get his foot in the door, essentially. He wanted just to do something. And Carpenter had never seen himself as a horror director, a horror filmmaker. But he took this film and he wrote it um, in 10 days with Deborah Hill, his girlfriend at the time. And what I, I don't know what this writing process was like, but they've just created magic it was lightning in a bottle essentially he loves that word you're gonna hear that probably multiple times what, lightning in a bottle yes yeah, you love that word do i say that often yes you do oh okay um, i will point out anytime anthony says something that he says often sorry i'm also dealing with the dog because the, the dog, dog yeah the dog is trying to play with her right now a dog is a mommy's boy before so we before we dive in any deeper Let's just talk about the excellence that is that score because it becomes iconic. It becomes like a sound you you fear. And to this day, I mean, it's goosebumps. I got to tell you, um, when I was a little boy and I was a, a, young, a young warthog, <laughs> my dad had just terrified me with Halloween because he was a big fan of the movie and when I was maybe like six or seven years old he made me watch it for the first time and it just terrified the ever-loving poop out of me and <laughs> so I didn't even want I didn't want anything to do with this movie the mask was the thing that scared me the mask and the music 
So I didn't want anything to do with this movie when I was a kid. And my dad used to torment me with it. He bought a Michael Myers mask. Um, and he had the music, the score, on a CD. As so, most dads do. Yeah, like I would be coming home <laughs> from school and he would, as I'm coming in, blast the score over the big speakers that he had, the big stereo that he had, and just would walk around the house with that freaking mask on. And it terrified me. Like, you would think that I would be, like, traumatized that I wouldn't want to watch this movie anymore, but for whatever reason, I used those experiences and, like, overcame the fear. And now it's, like, my favorite movie. I I understand that fear being like instilled in you young i had a dad who thought he was funny too dads you're not i'm sorry so sorry he threw it <laughs> did he throw it on the table yeah he did oh interesting. okay so we get the iconic music and then we like we cut to the opening with our like child hand that is actually a, a woman's hand yeah this is a pov shot um this is a point of view perspective of somebody at who if this is your first time watching the movie you don't know who it is but we are in the perspective of somebody and we're just walking around this house and we're looking through the window and we see this teenage girl and her boyfriend you know, making they're they're making, getting frisky. Yeah, they're getting frisky, and we get that music sometimes where like the light turns off and you hear ding ding or whatever. Which that again is then scary. It's and I wrote this down as we were watching it because my my instinct said you need to write some stuff down. Where it's an excellent use of music to build suspense mm -hmm. and to scare. I also um, wrote that down. Which sometimes movies do really right and sometimes they do incredibly wrong yeah yeah um well we're gonna talk because if i don't know if th this is okay to say right now but we're gonna dive deep into the franchise oh yeah yeah we're we're going into the sequels um, and this is gonna be a criticism that i've had for a long time of the rob zombie movies in halloween where this movie uses music like uses that halloween score so 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 well and at the most opportune times rob zombies halloween from 2007 uses it almost too much and at the wrong times and then halloween 2 rob zombie sequel from 2009 i believe like doesn't use it at all <laughs> so it's like the, it's the three little bears right it's the porridge not too hot not too cold somewhere in between yes and this movie does an excellent job at using that music to build suspense i also talked I, I made a note about how the movie is just shot really well and i think the story behind it is that carpenter used most of the budget for the movie on this like camera that allowed them to do those one shot takes and would be able to like move around quickly and it came to his advantage because that first scene that we have of who we figure out is young michael myers roaming around the house in that point of view shot is 
almost a one shot scene and it's a couple minutes long. Do you know the story behind that? Um, I don't know, but I'm sure he'll tell us. I'm going to tell you. Uh, so the story behind that, that was one of their, I think it was shot over two days. There was the cast and the crew's final days of shooting the movie. That was the last thing they shot was the first scene. And that scene where we get little Michael roaming around the house in that point of view shot, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that the crew was doing. This was the entire crew and Jamie Lee Curtis was there as well helping out. Um, essentially just going around and moving things and ensuring that the shot was taken in one go and also that it was perfect because the lights had to be in certain places, the cameras had to be in certain places, the actors had to be in certain places. So it was everybody kind of like moving around the camera as to not get in the camera shot. And it was like this almost well-oiled machine of everybody just moving around in different mm -hmm. places. And again, I say that's indie filmmaking at its finest. You just kind of do what you can and you create these makeshift ways of getting the shot. Um, and that's it's so interesting that it was done that way where we get this almost one shot scene and could do, could you tell where it cut because yeah. the camera wasn't able to hold the film long enough for carpenter to get the sh one shot all around that so, scene so he had to cut somewhere i remember like we're watching the movie the first time i watched the movie i did not notice this but as you continually watch the movie there's this the scene where he's at the bedroom door and he's touching a toy that cuts and then it's a sweater. Oh, I didn't notice that. And the, that's no, where I thought it was when he picked up the mask. No. And put the mask on. Maybe it was the mask or he put some toy or something on the ground, picked it up, and then when you cut back, there's something else in, a, in the spot. Yeah. And that's where I, you're like... I don't want to... Listen, I don't want to say you're wrong. Um, I'm definitely right. I don't want to say you're wrong. Play back the movie. <laughs> I don't want to say you're wrong. We'll, we'll go this back. Is the, the, great, the great part of being on YouTube is because now I am going to put that scene in. We're going to play that. I'm definitely right. I'll put um, it right in the middle. And you like can right take there. that to the bank. Oh, dude, that was my grandpa's catchphrase. <laughs> can take that to the bank. I'm definitely correct because I was really paying attention. But we get into that like long scene and we end with while well, the boyfriend of the sister or the guy the sister's seeing walks down the stairs leaves um and then did you did you happen to and i didn't do this i was wondering if you did did you happen to take time of how long he was upstairs not very long can't be a couple minutes more than a couple minutes right and he was like peace out bye yeah right <laughs> so that's strike number one. Um, strike number two is that when she said, like, you'll call me tomorrow, he was like, yeah, sure. He got his rocks and he left. Like, boys, no matter Did the time period. too long. No matter the time period, boys are always trash. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, he leaves. Michael, of course, goes up. Sister is Top, sitting topless. sitting by topless brushing her hair so that's a little that's a little strange it's a little weird i have never once in my life brushed my hair topless in front of my vanity <laughs> well maybe that's a thing that people in the set well it was in the 60s this is 1963 um no so that doesn't happen also 
why is we will contribute? Oh the dog is going crazy in the we'll other room. We'll watch other horror movies from this like similar time period, and you'll notice like there is a lot of nudity in early film, especially early horror, and that's because they had more like lax like standards for. No, no, I would disagree. I would disagree with that. I would say this is maybe one of the first horror movies where we were showing things like that. The 70s is an era where there was a lot of firsts in movies. The first, like Psycho in the 60s, I believe, was the first movie to show a toilet. <laughs> Not somebody using Ooh, the toilet. No, that's, but that's what I'm trying to say. I honestly say that, like, in modern. I don't think that their standards were really low. Well, I think, I think modern, our standards are low now. Well, as I was trying to get in a word edgewise, nowadays in horror, like, especially horror that you'll see in many of the movies, we'll soon review probably because, like, you're not going to see just perfectly perky, you know, tops of, sure. of women. You're not going to see it. Um, but in all of those, like, early... Like, well, like Friday the 13th and, yeah. The women have impeccable, like... Kudos to the well, actresses because yeah, I'm like kudos yeah. to these actresses. I'm like I'm not built like that. Uh, essentially, why I live in sweatshirts. <laughs> but um, I wrote down sister topless question mark and like not like initially screaming at my get out of here, Michael. Well, she just goes Michael. Like I'd be like I have a brother. I have a brother named right Michael. <laughs> Because he heard me screaming. So I'm like, this is a very weird family dynamic already because I would be just mortified. Um, And then we get the, you know, no real scariness. We get the, you know, yeah, the murder. And then we get murgled. Like, oh, yeah, she gets murgled. But then. We get the shot of him outside, and I just want to say, the kid they casted as little Michael is just cute as a freaking button. He quit acting. He so, became a police officer. So cute, though. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate that he chose that profession. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, after that POV shot, it zones, it like zooms out. You get that wide shot of the parents just kind of standing around. I wrote that. Um, I said, everyone's standing around. <laughs> They're not once concerned that there's blood on the knife. Not a lot of blood because we'll go. We'll get into this. Yeah. Er, this early, like the Halloween movies, the first one, there is not a lot of gore, and that's important to note because you will see difference in future movies. Yes, um, and again, we'll get into that. So we then cut to 1978. Smith's Grove, Illinois, where Dr. Loomis is in the car with Nurse Marion, and they're talking about transporting Michael Myers to a new state-run facility. And Loomis keeps referring to Michael as it. And the nurse says something along the lines of like, don't you think we should be referring to it as him? And Loomis is like, if you say so. Which we had this conversation before. Is Loomis like a bad doctor? And we, yeah, we had like this real in depth conversation of, well, 
Michael has not talked in 15 years. And he goes on these diatribes about, like, how Michael is pure evil, and Michael, like, he has the darkest eyes, and he sees past the wall. He's looked, like, hasn't spoken in 15 years. But, like, I guess we don't know, but did Loomis do everything that he was supposed to do is he a good doctor we've had many well neither one of us are psychologists or psychiatrists and can make diagnoses or anything like that but i talked about um in the car with him because we're both in our master's programs and i was like you know what if michael is like he's not neurotypical well he's nonverbal, and he's nonverbal. like what like what if and did he try to speak to Michael in a way that wasn't words? Mm-hmm. We we don't know. So we don't know if he's an actual well, also, good like, doctor. Loomis having that idea, like he, he's given up. Like he's given up on Michael. And he's given up to a point where he mentions that they just keep him medicated. They just trank him all the time. They keep him heavily medicated. And I don't know. I feel like that's like your first red flag of like a bad doctor is that somebody like just gave up it's medical compliance and it's against the law what it's a it's medical restraint and it's against the law you're not supposed to do that yeah well in the 1970s i don't know if things are different <laughs> yeah, uh, you got me. but then we we get to it's a dark and stormy night <laughs> and they get to the the, the facility san- the sanitarium um and people are wandering around and like that's the moment i would dip that very well, moment. she wanted to. Let's get out of here. And he's like, "No," and I'm like, "He runs well, out of the car." I would, I would literally dip. I would not even stop. She goes slow. She lets him out. I would full speed hit the gas, push him out while driving. You want to stay? You can stay. I'm Audi, big guy. Yeah, I'm yeah. Audi. Because what happens next? Michael jumps on top of the car and then smashes the window. Which, um, he uses a wrench. (laughs) So that's like one of the most infamous stories of the production is that they, he he had the, he palmed the wrench and he smashes the window and you can see the wrench in the shot if you look really closely. But if you're not paying attention to it, you're really not going to notice it. But they were like, we couldn't figure out how. this is our like 40th review of the movie. We're like, oh, there's the wrench. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And we've really gone into this, so... The wrench is on the windshield. Michael, and I talked to him while we were watching it again. I was like, Michael didn't murder anyone right there. Had so many opportunities to murder. He did not well, murder. he grabs anyone. her face. Yeah. Just, he, I don't know if he was going to kill her. Or he just, he threw her out of the car, yeah, essentially. Like, he wanted he, the car. He wanted the car. He did not kill the nurse. He didn't kill anyone in the psychiatric facility. He just wanted the car. He dipped. And I even wrote down, I was like, um... Is Michael a murderer, or does he murder so that he can get something? Well, that is a murderer. Well, <laughs> well, is Textbook. he like is he like intentionally going to murder these people, or is these people standing in the way of something Michael wants? And, and that's mostly what I I don't I don't know because Carpenter has in interviews always said like he hates when people try to psychoanalyze Michael. And he hates, like, the extended backstory and all this stuff because what the movie was intended to be was just, this is a guy going around killing people. Yeah, and we see that as we go along. So, um, 
cuts to well actually before that i wrote down something um loomis gets out of the car and starts screaming like an absolute maniac the evil is gone the evil is gone and i was like all right guy <laughs> like you gotta chill um i i just find this like part really hilarious because i wouldn't stick around well he was drunk I know, but I just, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't no, stick like around. Donald Pleasance was drunk filming oh, yeah. that scene. Like Donald Pleasance was uh, drunk for a majority of the filming. That's because he movie. thought he was too good yeah. for this movie because he didn't think it was going to do well. And wow, did most it of their budget went towards the cameras and Donald Pleasance. I think you, anyone could have played that role. I don't know. I think we'll Don, I think Ple- Pleasance. Well, they initially wanted Christopher Lee who played Dracula, um, also played Count Dooku in Star Wars Episode Two. Could you see him as, as having I th- played I could Loomis? see any older male. Yeah. Um, there he is. There's the boy. If you are watching on video, you'll see our dog sniffing around. He's sniffing Mothman. His name is Kaido. He's a um, good boy. Six-month-old dog. This really cute Mothman plushie I purchased at C2E2 this year. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, for you. so moving forward, we cut to Haddonfield, Illinois, and we have a very modest, uh, dressed, modestly dressed Jamie Lee Curtis, who is introduced to us, Lori Strode. Jamie Lee, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, we are introduced to her, and she was not John Carpenter's first choice for this movie. Do you know who was? I don't, but I remember we watched like the background on because mm-hmm. we're nerds. Um, we watched the background on this about how they were really t- telling him like, "Hey, like there's this young actress. She's really good. Let's let's pick up this Jamie Lee Curtis. She just came off of another movie. Like she's really good. Fantastic choice um, with Jamie Lee." Um. So they initially wanted. The daughter of the actress from Lassie, and they were uh, Carpenter was convinced of Jamie Lee not just well because of her audition and because of the fact that she was the daughter of Janet Lee, who played that initial character that gets killed in Psycho, uh, the first Scream Queen, Janet Lee. So they Carpenter wanted that connection to Psycho in a way, but upon casting Jamie Lee Curtis open Pandora's box, so to speak, because they then realize like Jamie Lee Curtis is a really good actress. Um, did you notice anything about her hair? Mm-hmm. I wanted to bring this up like when we were watching it, but I'm like, I'll save it for the podcast. No, I didn't. So whatever they did, the story is that like whatever they did to her hair, what like they blew it out or whatever, it like basically destroyed her hair. So there are certain shots where, like, her hair isn't as blown out or is maybe shorter. Um, After she filmed Halloween, she chopped it all off. And then she went short hair for, like, a long time. I noticed while we opened the first scene, you know, I said, I hate, I hate her outfit. And you're like, oh, they did it on purpose. And I'm like, you know. They sent Jamie Lee Curtis to JCPenney with $100, and she came back with that. I would have been like, Jamie Lee, like... A nude stocking. A nude stocking would change that whole outfit. A nude stock, Like, nothing was wrong with the, the turtleneck. Nothing was wrong with the skirt. Even though lots of patterns, not so good. But, like, the white tight with the lines. Oh, Jamie. Oh, Jamie. 
A nude stocking. A nude stocking would have been best. Mm. Jamie Lee Curtis improvised um, a lot of her, like, just roaming around parts and dialogue. The conversation she has with Tommy Doyle walking from, uh, like, across the street, um, that, that was improvised. The song that she sings, uh, which was, goes something like, I wish you had, I wish I had you all alone. That's an improvised song that she sings as she's walking down the street. Um, but yeah, we're introduced to Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis's yeah, character, and, and our entire supporting cast, including the kid that she babysits, Tommy Doyle, um, and her friends, yeah. Annie and Linda. And I noticed right away, um, Jamie Lee Curtis, ever so studious, Laurie Strode, has a ton of books, yet no book bag. Oh, wow. I didn't notice that. None of the characters have... Don't, none of them have book bags? I thought, doesn't Linda have a book bag? Because she goes on that diatribe about, like, I never have any of my books, my math book, my English book, and I feel like she... I feel like I remember her digging through a backpack. I don't remember, but I know Lori and then her... Her one friend is like they have books in their hands, but n and purses. But oh yeah, but okay. So they might have been digging through a purse. But no, like actual book bag. And I'm like, Lori, you carry so many books. If she forgot her algebra book, right? Mm -hmm. was her, oh no, no yeah, chemistry. Chemistry. And I'm like, you wouldn't have forgotten it if you had a book bag. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I guess book bags are not available in Hattonfield, um, fictional Illinois. Mm -hmm. I, that's what I wrote down. I was like, no backpacks. No backpacks in Hattonfield, Illinois, apparently. <laughs> um, but I also then wrote excellent use of music, um, as we get introduced to, like... The cast. The cast. And the girls. The girls, and then... The girls. When... Jamie Lee Curtis's like her character Lori is going to put the key under the mat, um, because they're trying to sell the yes, Myers house. The the Strodes are realtors. Yes, excellent use of just like very creepy atmosphere when like the camera from behind the glass plate of the door, mm -hmm. like that's scary. Yeah, and I don't think yeah. we really realize like. Hanfield, Illinois is supposed to be that typical suburb. It looks just like the suburb suburb I grew up in in Illinois. And that would scare the bejeebus out of me. There's someone behind the door that I can't see well, in a in a house that is supposed to be abandoned. I read this one thing on Reddit one time and I brought it up to you and um I was like this always struck me as wow okay this is like the scariest thing anyone's ever like typed out or i've ever read you never know who's watching you i hate when he brings this up you never know who's watching you and apparently our neighbors watch us as we're outside with our dog yeah like that's a big thing that gets me like angry because our, our backyard is like a, a chain fence away from our neighbor's backyard so like we kind of share a backyard it's just fenced off um, and their house is kind of like further up on a hill and they're old people. So initially they were like really cool with us and then they like stopped talking to us. And now every time I take the dog out to like take a shit, <laughs> every time I take the dog out, I see them like watching me through the blinds 
like they're paranoid somebody's in their backyard and i'm just like dude i'm like what are you gonna watch my dog take a shit like go. you never know who's watching you well i do know who's watching me and i guess they just enjoy watching my dog poop um, and um anyway as we go through <laughs> we then get like of course like michael is first introduced to Lori at that point and then he hyper fixates on on Lori on Lori um and on Lori's friends as we go through but first on Lori he follows her to school mm -hmm. um and she notices and you know Lori's got a good gut she knows something's not not kosher up in this town and i really i wrote down like michael doesn't like seem that's scary but it's terrifying because i like there's i there's a dude in a white mask and he's like, found like she's seen him multiple places he's just standing and around. he's just standing there looking at her i get fear like i am always telling anthony like i don't like when cars are following me like i'll make a bunch of twists and turns and i'm like if this car follows me for four random turns then this person's fine no one's actually following me i'm just very paranoid Never been followed. um but i also wrote down like they're learning an interesting lesson in class and it's like all about fate but ooh, ow <laughs> i hit the mic and i hurt my finger oh okay she's also wrestling with the dog right now if you are listening on audio mediums uh <laughs> where brie had at one point said stop it off mic and it's because the dog was biting her hand um so if you heard that then you you now know why she said stop it randomly but uh getting back to it i'll uh, the the girls the teenage girls what do you think about their dialogue um do you think it's good we've always had this conversation no one knows how to write authentic dialogue perfectly yes it's hard and especially yes. it's it's hard when i try to write something like for my web comic that i used to have it was the hardest thing teenage girls i think is one of the most difficult I would argue Teenage that, girls and young children. I would argue that this is a very authentic picture of, uh, like, teenage friendship. But I feel like still some They're of the like dialogue... with each other, I know, but mostly. still some of the dialogue. I was like, why are Lori's friends so mean? Mm -hmm. They're, like, well, mean to Lin her. Linda's not that mean. Annie is mean. And like, I think she so was written mean. to be that way, like, the sarcastic friend. Um... Deborah Hill was responsible for writing the dialogue for the girls and writing a lot of Lori's dialogue, too. I wonder if she had a mean friend. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, but I think it's kind of cool to have that, like, maybe authenticity there of the female characters were written by a female person. Because a lot of the times when we have... Men can't write yeah, Men can't write women. Men can't write female characters. They're just not good at it. And we've seen this problem play out over and over again. So maybe it is a little authentic. The only thing I have beef with is the amount of totalies that are said by Linda. Totally. Totally. That's the only thing that's always been like very cringy to me about the movie. Um, and, and there are flaws to this movie. Like, don't get me wrong. There are flaws galore to this movie. But I think we overlook a lot of those flaws because of how good the movie actually is. Um, one of the flaws I think is the time in which the parents are going out. Like super late. It's seven seven 
That's it. Like that's the. So if I that was they're ba- going out yeah, at seven. They're going out at seven. The babysitter is arriving at seven. They are going to probably be somewhere by seven thirty, eight o'clock, depending on where they're going. That is. But that's the like. That's the reason late. that they have a babysitter, right? Yeah, I but guess the reason people get babysitters. Tommy, Tommy Doyle's still up. When I was in on nine o'clock was your. Like, nine is the bedtime. He'd be in his PJs ready for bed. Like, he would only have, like, two waking hours before it was time to, like, go to bed. Mm-hmm. And usually, I don't know, maybe my parents are just real big squares. They leave at, like, babysitter would come over at, like, five because parents would be back before nine. Like, I feel like they're just going out. To, and where are they going? Out. I don't know. Like, where are you going on Halloween as adults? Partying, maybe? But they weren't dressed, like, to go to a Halloween party. Well, do we ever see Lori's parents? We don't see Lori's parents, but we see... Not even we see Tommy Doyle's parents. We no, we see, don't see any of their no, parents. No, we see the little girl parents. Yeah. Yeah. So, I said seven is a little, a little late for parents to go out. And then we have the scene where he shows up behind the, the hedge... Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, yeah, I wrote about I that. Wrote, I wrote, I poop. <laughs> I, I also wrote... Okay, so I wrote... Uh, first of all, Michael is standing out in the open in broad daylight. And when we said, like, there are some flaws to this movie, this is a guy in a mechanic's outfit in a white Halloween mask standing around, staring at people, driving around in a mask in broad daylight, and nobody reports it. Right, Nobody says because anything. let's be honest, in a small like su- suburb in Illinois, someone is going to call your car in. Oh yeah, but like around here, someone's going to call your car in. Someone, and it's not even like a normal car. He steals the state, like the government issued car for the sanitarium. Like this isn't a normal car. He would he would get caught so uh, I easily. I wrote down. I wrote down the um. The make of the car and the year of the car. It is a 1978 Ford LTD wagon. I love wagons. My dream car growing up, I really, really wanted a station wagon. Mm-hmm. Like, because my brother's girlfriend, when he was in high school, she had a station wagon and she had spray painted polka dots on it. And I thought it was the coolest car in the entire world. The inside was complete trash. Mm-hmm. Like it was a it was a terrible car, can but I loved about, it. Can we talk about how Michael drives this Ford wagon like for a long time, right? Like he's fr- from the previous night to the following day and he stops in different places like to get the jumpsuit or to break into the Halloween store and grab what did they say rope, rope. A couple, a, knives a couple knives and, and some masks. He doesn't do anything with the rope, by the way. And I'm going to preface this by the alarms. So this is skipping ahead. Yeah, but, we're skipping ahead a little bit. But when, so Lori's friend, dad, is sheriff Bracken. is the sheriff, and he responds to a call at the hardware store. The alarm is still going off when Lori and Annie Annie arrive. And he's like, this is what was stolen. Michael has been in this town for hours. Yeah, the whole day. The whole day. He already had the mask on when we first saw him. 
Why is the alarm oh, still going dude, off at the hardware store? I didn't realize that. Why is the alarm still going? Like it when just saw, happened. When we saw him like behind the bush and everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, even at the school, he had the mask and on at already. The school. Well, no, when she first and saw she, him. Like, literally first saw this guy. He had the mask. Okay. Yeah. So I that's, a, that's, that's a, a glaring, flaw. glaring flaw. So when they, when the dad's like, it must have been some kids. I'm thinking maybe it was kids. Maybe Michael didn't even do that. Maybe Michael didn't do it. Maybe oh, we're, we're Michael led to was framed. He was framed. <laughs> I mean, he does a lot believe. of other things. Yeah. But. Because I put that, I was like, um, like, wow. Like, I just, I, I can't, I can't believe that. That happened. I also wrote, like, Lori does a lot of things that I do where, like, she's talking to herself. Well, kiddo. Yeah, yeah. it's like, well, kiddo. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Like, their show, well, she's trying to self-soothe. Like, she's obviously a little spooked. She's been spooked all she's day. She's spooked the whole day. She's Something, just, something's off. She's a little paranoid all day. And her, trust her gut. And, like, she notices that something is not right. Mm -hmm. And we see that Michael is following those two girls from the moment they leave to go babysit. He's following them. He's watching them. He's in the car. He's behind them, like very closely behind them the whole time. Yeah, he's trailing them. He makes oh, every okay. turn. And I said, I would notice if someone made She's every single me. turn I made and was like really tailing me, like he was close, mm -hmm. not even like very far behind them at all. Yeah. So Michael's been driving in this town all day, got from the sanitarium to the town. How much gas do you think he used? I'm like, did, did Michael did he go to, to fill the, up? <laughs> did Michael go to the gas station? Right. What like, money did he use? No, he had to have gone to the gas station. Um, but again, that's another flaw. I think that we are able to look past because the movie's so good. Yeah, because um, I wrote here timeline of events is fishy. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not too well thought out. Yeah, and I don't think it needed to be. No, because I could totally believe that Michael was the one who stole the stuff from the hardware store. Until I thought about it, and I was like, the alarm. Like we disengage the alarm as soon as the cops arrive. Right? Yeah. Like, the alarm wouldn't be going off for hours, which is what we'd assume he had the mask the entire school day. He already had this mask. He already had this mask by the time they yeah. went to um, see um, her dad. Right. So, so let's, let's back, back up a little bit. And let's talk about that bush scene. Because I also wrote... Um, I would poop. So, so they're walking, right? <laughs> the girls are walking and they're giving Laurie some guff about like not asking Ben Tramer to the dance or whatever. And Michael is in the station wagon and speeds past them. And Annie screams at him, hey jerk, speed kills. And then Michael slams on the brakes. That's when I wrote, I'd poop. Because <laughs> like if I yelled at it at somebody and then they slammed on the brakes and just sat there, but like, for like I'm a couple die, seconds, probably. I'd be like, oh, shit. Like, I just really screwed up. <laughs> Road rage is real, and um, people are scary. I think nowadays I get more scared because we're in a very, like, conservative area. I don't well, we're in the suburbs, and the suburbs are scary. We'll get to that. Um, the whole point is, I think the suburbs are not scary. The suburbs were created as, like, a safe space. 
right? But we'll get to why the suburbs are scary in a little bit. Yeah, like, so towards the end of this conversation. So, but we're still recapping the movie a little bit. Um, Lori's singing to herself. She's walking. She sees Michael. She's walking with Annie. She's Michael behind the bushes. Uh, also, I poop at that too. If was, I just saw was, somebody like, like super run behind a bush. And I think. Annie is like the biggest jerk in this like scenario where like Lori, this is not the first time she brought up to Annie like she doesn't like something's off like I've the guy in the car is the same person I saw outside the window at school. It's the same person who's behind these bushes and Annie's just like, yeah, he wants to talk to you and like teasing her about it and it's like wow like we're really establishing like she's friends with this girl but this girl is like not nice she's like best friends with Annie. she spends more time with annie than she does with linda and linda's like the nicer one yeah linda just wants to boink her boyfriend yeah (laughs) boink her boyfriend um good so we move past a little bit of that Lori gets to her house she sees michael behind the curtains also i poop there um, That's wrote, really scary. I wrote that Lori has a poster in her. This is something I noticed for the first time. Lori has a poster in her room of James Ensor because his name was at the bottom of the poster. So I googled James Ensor because I didn't know who that was. James Ensor is known for um, being uh, a paint. He's a painter, and he would paint these images of people wearing like these grotesque masks. Kind of a cool little easter egg um so she's at home i wrote on here um one of the things that i noticed and i guess i haven't noticed this in how many times i've watched the movie there are so many shots of them walking like uh, the first half of this movie is just people walking around more than like the lord of the rings like everyone's just walking around in the lord of the rings that's the whole that's franchise. The whole, that's the whole thing. Just walking. I noticed in this scene where she's in her house is that we're setting up for a scene that will happen later in the movie where we get a phone call, dead air. Mm-hmm. Lori's already on edge, scared, hangs up, gets a call back. It's it's Annie, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, she's like, why did you hang up on me? It's like, well, you're playing around. I thought you're like something else. She's like, oh, no, I was just playing around. I couldn't talk. And so it sets up for a scene that we'll talk about later. But I think that's a very important establishing, like, phone call. Because we know now Annie likes to play on the phone. Mm -hmm. And that's important. Also, if I saw this man, who I've seen multiple times outside my window, I would would definitely call the police. I would call the police. And I poop. Yeah, like big old <laughs> poop, poop big first. old poop, <laughs> big first. Old poop. Um, but like that would be really scary, and I think that I, that's that's just it's so terrifying. And I, and I think the way that it's shot, especially like those scenes of them just like walking around the neighborhood, Laurie walking oh. across the street at different times while that music plays. Again, beautiful use of music in this movie. It's. I think it's so effective in being able to build tension and just being like, oh my God, like we're not getting to these, we're not getting to the action, but we're building that suspense of this is the town that we live in and it Mm -hmm. can be scary if the right circumstances are applied. So those long following shots, because a lot of the way Carpenter films this movie is in long tracking shots and 
that's a very good way to build suspense and build tension because um, you're waiting you're waiting you're waiting for something to happen so that by the time something does actually happen it makes it all the all the scarier and that's part of something we had talked about a long time ago where i had listened to i can't i can't remember the writer who was talking about this but the, this one writer was talking about the use of like a jump scare and he's saying that a lot of modern horror movies use the jump scare in horrible ways because what you're really supposed to be focusing on in a jump scare is not the jump itself, but what comes after the jump. Because the physiology and the psychology of the audience is that for that 20 seconds after a jump scare, the audience member is the most susceptible to whatever happens afterwards. Mm -hmm. So if you have like a cat jumps out at you and it scares you and then you don't do anything after that, you've misused your jump scare. But if you have Michael, you know, showing up out of the bushes and then after that he like enters the building. I don't know. You've then used that jump scare effectively in in creating that sense of dread and that sense of tension in your in your film. Uh and I think Carpenter does this very well, especially in building that sense of dread with those shots. I then we cut to like um dr loomis he comes to the sheriff he's saying like this guy is here i i know it and the sheriff's like okay should i notify everyone and dr loomis is like no don't tell don't warn people um at this point do you think that was a good decision i wrote down no because we as a watcher know that he's killed at least two people two people at least and the people in the town, they don't know. Well, Doctor Loomis, he missed the one, so he. Oh yeah, the he dude does, that he stole the mechanics. Yeah, so from. he knows mm-hmm. of zero deaths, but we, as the viewer, know of two deaths. But the people in the town, if they would to know anything, it would be one. Right. But. And right now, that's zero. I don't think they know of any deaths Michael caused. So there is a dangerous person out there that they're saying don't worry anybody with. And I think that's the wrong decision because even when we get to that part where they're at the hardware store and Annie is talking to her dad, like, not only are you the sheriff of this town, but that's your daughter, like, roaming around. And there's a psychopath out there. Yeah, and like, we're not. Wouldn't you want to say like, "Hey, you should probably like go home." And they're not so. Uh, like, typical, I can't tell you what's happening, but maybe you should go home. How many times has that happened? Like, I'm four kidding. Four times, yeah. Um, so one of the things about the suburbs is like that sense of security, where no one locks anything, no doors are locked, no cars are locked. There's that trust. Right. We got warned about that when we bought our house in the suburbs where Lock our, your stuff. Our, our realtor said, you know, there's uh, sometimes there's like car jackings or like people will break into cars. And he's like, it's mostly because people don't lock their doors or they keep their garage opener like in plain view in their car. So people like break into the car. And that's a problem that a lot of people have in the suburbs is you don't lock your stuff. You don't lock anything. I grew up in the city. So, like, my whole thing was, like, you got to lock your doors. So, I grew up in the suburbs and, like, our door, our front door was always... Open? Unlocked. Mm -hmm. Unlocked. Now, so, as our neighborhood has begun to change, 
Um, my parents do lock the door. So now I have to use my key every time I go visit my parents. It's just a good habit to get into. I, I mean, always make sure that, like, every time, you know me, every time we are about to, like, relax or go to bed, I always make sure the doors check. are locked. Yeah. Um, but it's a very, like, suburban thing. And I think now it's not so prevalent because of like the nature of just suburbs aren't as safe as we believed they were Mm -hmm. um back in the day there was that like sense of security in the suburbs so no one was locking anything and you'd think that they would want at least to let people know hey we should be vigilant and locking there is someone we don't know if they're dangerous but we just want you to be locking your doors or at least call your daughter who's babysitting and tell her to lock the door. Also think of the context that this movie was written and and filmed in. This is 1978. This is the era of the serial killer. Son of Sam just got caught in 1978. So that idea that the suburbs are becoming this place that we thought was safe and are and is not safe anymore that's very scary to people yeah and, and then I, I will get into this bigger theme of the suburbs um a little bit later but then we get into it and they arrive finally i was telling anthony i was like how how far away is their babysitting gig they leave um their houses in the broad daylight and they arrive at the houses which are only a couple like they're across the street from each other um and it's pitch dark outside i know it's supposed to be seven o'clock is when they were told to be over but we're we're getting there and we have of course the girls are not babysitting together they're babysitting two different children in different houses and we have annie linda is not babysitting no linda's not babysitting but she's going to take advantage of annie's um having the house by themselves yeah and them the parents really not noticing that teenagers are hanky panking in their bedrooms but anyway we get into it and annie is making popcorn and she spills butter on herself and she full-on nude practically except for pantalones in the middle of the kitchen and somebody else's I just and then she puts on and she's like I'm sp- I gotta wash my whole ensemble now where you can okay. just take some dish soap and like, like wipe off the butt yeah. I, I have babysat before I would never undress in someone else's house and then she takes like a like a dress shirt that is not hers that's assuming that's the father's dress shirt and then she does a load of laundry for just her shirt just the two things and yeah. pants and she puts in you a pointed ton out. of detergent for just like <laughs> practically two garments the shirt and the pants i'm like why yeah. she's not wearing a bra she's just wearing do you think she knew shirt. how to do laundry i don't think she's ever done a load of laundry <laughs> in her life um and like it was just like oh my goodness i was just like i don't i don't know why she's doing laundry at someone else's house i've never in the dark i've never been confident to like go into somebody else's home as a babysitter Mm -hmm. and do laundry yeah so blah 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 you know (laughs) and moving on annie is babysitting Lindsay wallace laurie's babysitting tommy doyle and they're calling each other back and forth, you know, whatever happens. And meanwhile, we notice that Michael is stalking Annie and he's watching her through the windows. 
And there's a lot of cool shots there of him just like in the background, just like roaming around um, or standing around. Uh, she sends the dog out. And Aww, the dog, poor dog. The dog one person, unfortunately, does not make it. There's another scene that happens. I can't remember if it's before or after the Annie scene, but Loomis is hanging around the Myers house because he's convinced that it's before. Ma- it's before. Um, he's convinced that Michael is going to return to his house. So Sheriff Brackett and Dr. Loomis go into the house and they see a dead dog. And Loomis says something. I wrote this down. Loomis says something like, he must have gotten hungry. Which is like a very subtle way of saying, Michael eats dogs. Raw. Raw. Yeah. Um, which we could, we could either say maybe... Um, we don't know. I mean, he has to eat something, right? Like, right, but he's like, a human wouldn't being. it make sense to like go to a Burger King or something instead of like going and taking someone's dog and like taking just a furry bite out of it? I mean, yeah, chomping stra- on it. like strange. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Um, after the Loomis and Sheriff Bracket thing, we get into the Annie scene and Michael stalking her and. Uh, she brings Lindsay over to Lori. Because she wants to go pick up Paul. Because she wants to go pick up Paul, her boyfriend. And once she goes and leaves to pick up Paul, she gets in the car and unfortunately... So I don't know if this was me just interpreting the scene differently. When she went to go to the car for the first time, she it's said... Locked, right? It's locked, and she needs to go get keys. Mm-hmm. When she returns to the car... It's unlocked. It's unlocked. And, and I'm she's like, like we're out by it. I'm like, that would be my first, like, don't get in the car moment. Right? But you you don't, you would think about it like that? You wouldn't just be like, hmm, that's weird. Because that's probably I what not. I would do. So, I guess it's the difference in time, the time period. I was always told, when you get in a car, look in the back look seat. In the back seat. She goes right, sits in the car, right? Notices that it's foggy. The window is foggy. Immediately knowing that someone is in here mm-hmm. because that's the only logical explanation. And then we get the most drawn out long yeah. death scene of any of the characters. I wrote that, and that's weird. I don't know why. Because he chokes her. He chokes her. Well, then he stabs her. But the choking scene is like, it's drawn out and it's like uncomfortably drawn out. And I always wondered, I don't know if Carpenter ever talked about it or any of the actors ever talked about it, why that death scene in particular is so cruel. Cruel, yeah. And drawn out like that. And we know that, like, okay, so Michael... As we get into the future films, we'll talk more about, like, our opinions of Michael. But right now, like... He's just a dude. He's just a dude. Um, and that was some... That's pretty harsh. But then he he pivots. And you'd think, like, he would go on to stalk someone else. And so he doesn't right away leave the house tommy doyle sees him him carrying annie's body back into the house and he's like it's the boogeyman it's the boogeyman and remember that phrase the boogeyman because it's going to come back but um laurie again said there's no such thing as the boogeyman um you're frightening you know 
So you're scaring Lindsay. And Lindsay's like, oh, yeah, there's totally a boogeyman. And <laughs> I, uh, I looked at Bree and I was like, if I was Lori, I'd be pissed. Like, whose side are you on? I just tried protecting you, Lindsay, and now you're going to be against me? Like, what the hell? So we get this, and it's... She has one of the the cruelest of the deaths. Mm -hmm. um, but then we transition to... Um, the scene with Linda and Bob. So Linda and Bob come over. Um, they notice something's up right away, but they go and ignore it. They're like, the lights aren't, no one's here. The lights like, are we off. We want to. But they want a boy. Yeah. So they're, they, they, they walk into somebody else's home, start making out on the couch, and Michael, he's there. And he's he's got his peepers out, and he sees what you're doing. Um, very much a parallel of his sister's death at mm -hmm. the very beginning. So her death is very similar to what we'll see um, that happened at the beginning of the movie. So they go upstairs, they boing. Did you notice how long? It was very short. It was very <laughs> short. <laughs> yeah. And like, she's into it. I was talking to him, I was like, you know, it isn't that good. Like, because he was the only one. Sure. He was the, he, she did not. No way. Yeah. No way. So, and he just rolls right off and, you know, she lights She's a like, cigarette. Get me a beer. She lights a cigarette for both of them. She says, you want a beer? But then she tells him, you go and get it. And then we have, unfortunately, the demise of. The demise of Bob. Yeah. And this is, so I get one of my criticisms of this movie, and I don't think I think I'm thinking about it too much <laughs> because I don't think the people who made this movie were considering this like at all. Michael's strength fluctuates during the movie, so like when Michael is strangling Annie, it he, took him a long it time. It took him a long time to do that, but then Bob's getting the beer. He's able to hoist. Bob's getting the beer and. Michael pops out of what the closet or something and pushes Bob against the pantry and stabs him and raises him up so like he's hanging with the knife inside of him and I'm like it takes a tremendous amount of strength to be able to I don't lift even someone, think it's possible lift up a, a man which I would assume heavier than you Probably Michael's not a big dude. In probably this movie. heavier than I am. So Bob's probably like one eighty. Yeah, around one seventy, one eighty pounds. He lifts this man up, shoves a knife. Do you know how hard it is to shove a knife through a human being? Like to a point where where it has to balanced. stick him yeah. <laughs> into the wall, which we already talked about. It wouldn't happen because the knife was not long enough. You would need like a sword size knife to do what he did mm -hmm. to Bob, and the knife is not far enough in, or not big enough because a human sternum, a human all the way around. We're we're thick. Even a thin man, even my my friend Anthony right here. He you could not stick a knife through Anthony and then have that much left of a knife to stick him into the wall. Knives aren't that big. They're not that big. So right off the bat there, I'm like something's a little so not little, right. <laughs> little story about this. Um, Michael for the majority of the movie is known as the Shape, and he's played by Nick Castle, uh, one of John Carpenter's good friends. Nick Castle uh, was not, he never intended on being in the role of the shape. 
he wanted to be on the set to help John Carpenter because he eventually wanted to direct movies and he wanted to see how a film mm -hmm. crew worked. But Carpenter convinced him to don the suit and to don the mask and be Michael Myers for a majority of the movie. So on like day one of Nick Castle being Michael Myers, he asked John Carpenter, what's my direction? And the scene was Michael walking across the street. And Carpenter said, don't act, just walk, don't think. And that's the direction that he gave Castle throughout a majority of the movie. And it makes so much sense that that's the direction you give somebody who's playing Michael Myers is like, don't think, don't think, just walk, just walk, just react and walk. And the only one of the only times he gave Nick Castle direction was in the scene with Bob and Michael tilting his head back and forth, kind of like admiring the work. You know? And then we get to the more interesting part of Michael, where he dons the sheet Plus, yeah, and glasses the sheet over and... to pretend to be Bob. And it's like, he's kind of like messing. Oh his... yeah, Mike, Michael torments his victims. He's tormenting. This was a big criticism of the 2018 version, or the, the sequel, the 2018 sequel, where um, there was this scene where, and we're going to go into this when we cover the 2018 yeah. one, but Michael drops the teeth in front of the uh, bathroom stall when the podcaster is there. And people oh, no. people on Reddit were like, <laughs> he, Michael, the, Michael doesn't torment his yes, victims. Yes, he does. Yeah, oh, yeah, he does. Michael is very much an artiste. Yeah, and we go into this as we will get into it more as we watch later films. But, but is Michael a performance artist? Is he doing what he does? Is it art to, is it art to Michael? Maybe. Maybe. He goes in with this sheet over his head, being and pretending to be Bob. And is that is when we f we get Linda in a false sense of security. I would love. Brie. And then we terrify the living ever-loving goodness yeah. out of Linda. And I, she I would unfortunately, love if in the last ho in Halloween ends, that Michael just uh, takes off the mask and goes acting <laughs> I'm this an was actor. all a show this was all a show but we get into so Linda reaches the same fate as you know who really got off Scott Free in this you know Paul Ben, ben Tramer Paul like lucky Paul was grounded oh, yeah. and lucky Paul was not there to if, at the start because he would have been if he was not grounded he would have arrived there with Annie and he would have reached the same fate as friends so we now have Annie's dead, Bob's dead, Linda's dead, all dead in the same house, but Michael does not leave bodies where he kills them. He moves them. He moves them because it's art. Which he, we can get into that when we cover Halloween Kills, too, because he does a similar thing. He doesn't leave bodies where they're killed. He moves them. Mm -hmm. And he stages them. So he we makes get scenes. he makes scenes. We get um, Annie in the bed with with, the, with, with Judith the, Myers head with the tombstone there. right there, and then we get um, Bob in the closet. Linda's also like Linda's in like a from like a closet. drawer yeah. or something, and it's like that's terrifying because he knows people are going to open those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that adds a whole separate and it's, layer and it's of like, like he's not only tormenting 
Like, he's tormenting whoever finds, which happens to be Lori. But she didn't know Lori was going to find no, it. No, of course not. Yeah. So then we get, like, he's killed everybody at that particular residence. What's next? Lori arrives to the house. New, new, new fixation. Do we know, like, there is no definitive answer of if Michael would have gone after Lori if Lori did not go and check on her friends. I think Michael was fixated on Lori because he had been following her. But he chose to go after Annie first. It's an interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how, again, like, again we can't profile him. Because mm -hmm. nothing was supposed to make sense. It was just supposed I'm gonna to scare us. I'm going to quote John Carpenter on this when he has been asked about psychoanalyzing <laughs> Michael. And uh, John Carpenter would say it's bullshit. <laughs> it's, it's, so, all, it's all bullshit. So we get into it. Okay. Friends are dead. She's terrified. She's She runs across the street. Michael, a leisurely stroll. So I'm going to interrupt you for a second. And I'm going to tell you a little story. About the filming of the movie. Let me tell you a little ditty. Be because the movie was filmed not in chronological order. It was filmed out of order. And Jamie Lee Curtis, being a relatively new actress, uh, didn't really know where she should be in terms of her fear. So Carpenter developed for her a, um, a, a fear level, like a fear gauge, where for majority of her scenes, she's at like a five or a six. Like that's how scared you should be, is like a five or a six. But for the scene where she finds all the bodies, Carpenter told her to be at a nine and a half. And that's what she came up with at nine and a half. Does that make like- Cause you never wanna you, be a 10. Can you picture that? You never wanna be a 10, cause that means you can't go any yeah. higher. But yeah. So that scream that she belts out, like when the bodies drop in front of her, that's nine and a half to Jamie Lee Curtis. And so you get this terrified Jamie Lee Curtis, this terrified Lori, running across the street. Again, Michael leisurely strolling. She has time. She's banging on the door like, Tommy, 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 wake up. Tommy is taking oh, his how about, how dang about time. We talk about what I think is the scariest part of this movie is that she's knocking on people's doors and no one is answering they turn the light off on her and that's so totally something that would happen in the suburbs and i think i think i've wrote it down before it's like people the the bystander effect mm -hmm. someone else it's someone else's problem someone else will do something and then you know no one does anything and three teenagers are Murgled. Yeah. Um, but you have like this part where she's like banging on like Tommy's door. Tommy's like taking Tommy, afraid of the boogeyman, taking his leisurely stroll from his bedroom down. And Lori's like, you need to come like quickly. And he's still leisurely strolling. He and just she woke up. He just woke I know, but like, we're assuming he went to bed, but not like 30 minutes ago, less than. I'm never in a deep sleep that quickly but i've it's been a while Listen, since Brie, it's been you don't a while want me to get into it <laughs> okay but okay she gets the door open bolts it but again we're in the suburbs every window is open assuming there's a back door that's probably open the streets are relatively empty at this time when michael's chasing Lori. people are like getting ready for bed yeah he gets in 
like a freaking grease lightning. Well, well, she gets in the house and she locks the door. She tells the kids to go upstairs. She tries to get on the phone. The phone line's cut, and she notices the window is open or the back door is open, wherever it is. But he had to have slipped in like a like a ninja. I said grease lightning. Yeah, and, and to have cut the cord for the phone. Right. This man is an octopus. I don't know how he did that in that short of time. He's an but octopus. Then Lori's like. She's in front of... Well, first she's behind the couch. Then she's in front of the couch. And Michael's actually behind the couch. That doesn't make too Again, much sense timeline of events. Yeah. <laughs> but she stabs Michael in the neck with a, uh, like, fireplace pick thing. Like, yeah. And he collapses. She thinks he's dead. She runs upstairs. She gets the kids. Oh, was that the boogeyman? Oh, well, I killed him. And then he's behind her. Ah, the kids yell. And then... Michael and Lori have their showdown where Lori hides in the closet, but she does something that's really smart. She's a smart protagonist. What does she do? Did you catch it? When she runs into the room before she goes in the closet? Um, she opens up the door to the balcony to try to create the illusion that she jumped off the balcony. You know, that is a sign. They always say in scary movies, everyone runs upstairs. Um, that's the worst place to run. There's a limited amount of space upstairs. But if you were going to run upstairs, open as many doors as possible. Mm -hmm. So you can be anywhere, you yeah. know? And it gives you a better chance, you know? Would I choose closet? I don't know. Well, that's why we need to create a hidey hole in our house. We need to, like, we need, a panic we need to, like, cut out, like, a slice somewhere. Like, ooh, over here would be perfect. But. <laughs> But find a place where, like, the panic room, like, where panic no, room. no one can find you in there. Um, because, terrifyingly enough, where are people going to check? Closets, under beds, like, behind doors. Like, I mean, I am a great hider. Once never found in a game of hide-and-go-seek to the point where I had to, I had to out myself as I'm right here. Um, I hid behind the pillows. In my parents' bed, like straight across <laughs> the backboard of the bed. Mm -hmm. No one could find me. No one could find me because they had like several stacks of pillows. Cause yeah. you know, like white moms and like the amount of pillows that are on a bed. Right. Yeah. Um, no one could find me. They were looking for me for quite a while to the point where they gave up. And they were yelling for me, and I still was not moving. <laughs> I was going to wait till no one was near where I was so that they couldn't, so I could use that hiding space again. Because mm -hmm. no one could find me. So maybe she should have done that, but also Jamie Lee Curtis is a lot, hide taller, a pillows. A lot taller than my 5'1 <laughs> fell. Yeah. Uh, so she hides in the closet, and she again does something that's very smart, is she takes a wire hanger and fights back. She fights back. Which is, in that situation, like, I feel like that's a smart thing to do. Fight like, or flight. Yeah. Um, Michael breaks through, and she pokes him in the eye with the wire hanger, and then she he drops the knife, and he stabs, she stabs him. At that point, uh, she thinks he's dead again, and we get that iconic, like, sit up, look at her, then get up, and... They have a fight, they have a little tussle, and she rips off his mask. And that's one of the first times we see Michael's face. Meanwhile, Dr. Loomis shows up 
deus ex machina, Dr. Loomis. Um, shoot, 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 And shoot. shoots him a couple times. He falls off the balcony. And then we get that terrifying shot of he's there, cut, he's not there. And then, so Laurie says, was that the boogeyman? He says, oh, as a matter of fact, I do believe it is. And then we get that shot. He's not on the floor of the balcony anymore. And the movie ends with us looking at these establishing shots of places we've already seen in the movie, the different houses, the staircases, the streets, and just him breathing over it, giving that situation that he's still out there, right? Like, we don't know if he's dead. We don't know if he's still out there. And I think, like, at that point, it's just more terrifying mm-hmm. because it's an open-ended movie it's an open-ended movie which eventually gets closed as we uh, well i does know it? does it get closed we'll talk about the newest we, oh my god like we're gonna super dissect the different timelines of halloween yeah. and uh the directions that they've gone in if this was a one-off movie that it would be terrifying because at that point you're thinking the boogeyman is still out there mm-hmm. and this is the first time where we really get that breakdown of like suburbs are, are it's, it's it's scary yeah, in the suburbs. Yeah, and this is where I wanted to get into it because this is the first. This this movie is a lot of firsts, and mm-hmm. why it's so good is that it's simplistic. Can this? I'm going to ask you first of all. Do you think that if this movie had never come out in the 1970s and they made this same exact movie? just kind of modernized a little bit today do you think it would hold the same well we would see because we can compare it to like a paranormal activity a low budget movie um kind of hokey at some points did very well super well um and this has like some of the same like elements to it it's a it's a low budget film at points it's a little hokey but it's terrifying and i think a truly terrifying movie will do well mm-hmm. um but we got a question why it's so terrifying there's so many answers mm-hmm. to why this movie is scary and why this affected people the way it is down to the music to the character of michael myers to just the fact that we are in a time period where the suburbs are traditionally seen as the safe place, like we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier. And a lot of what in the history of horror prior to Halloween was, is we are p- taking people and bringing them to the monster, right? Like Texas Chainsaw Massacre prior to Halloween, they stumble upon this cannibalistic family in Leatherface. Dracula, they stumble upon the castle. But this is where the monster the monster comes to you. Yeah. So like these people, Michael Myers inevitable, right? Like mm-hmm. there was no stopping their confrontation with Michael Myers. There was nothing they could have done to prevent their confrontation with he's Michael Myers. Coming there. You're not going to him. And that's scary, right? This area that we would traditionally see as being a safe haven, being quiet is now unsafe because the monster can come to you and that's i think that's what makes this movie truly terrifying is the simplicity of that concept this isn't a movie about supernatural then we don't get into the supernatural until (laughs) later and to quote carpenter again it's bullshit but (laughs) we'll get into that again when we get into the sequels 
but this isn't the supernatural. This isn't this is just some a guy. kind of like yeah, this is just a crazy dude with a knife stalking babysitters, and he's coming to you. Murders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's terrifying for like I know growing up like. Lock your doors, check your back seat. Like, I remember even running up the stairs to the basement after you, like, click the lights off as fast, booking it up the stairs as fast as you can. There was a, it, there's a shift in now we're afraid of the dark because Annie walks around in that movie outside, no fear pitch like it's dark walking from the house to the laundry area in the back um not afraid like not thinking there's anything looming in the darkness now we're afraid of what goes bump in the night because now something can come to you and this movie has a long-lasting legacy of changing the game with horror and there are so many copycats of this movie not even the idea of having a serial killer that really doesn't have a backstory, really doesn't have a character. It's kind of faceless. But the idea of holiday-themed uh, horror movies, like you had Black Christmas, I, I don't know if that came before or after, but Valentine's Day, uh, a whole bunch of other stuff that, uh, that came out after. Friday the 13th, I would argue, is a poorly done copycat of Halloween. Don't you dare insult friday the 13th you know how i feel i'll fight yeah but i'm going to because jason Voorhees is a is a poor man's michael myers but no (laughs) and we can we can say you know there's no two characters have quite stood out and stood the test of time like a michael myers and a jason Voorhees. Mm -hmm. jason Voorhees came after but both characters have transcended decades and remained but why scary. Does, so why does a movie like Halloween I don't I, mean, I don't know if Friday the 13th stands the test of time maybe but why does a movie like Halloween get so much critical praise and Friday the 13th is very shallow in its character development like I would say Lori, Annie, and Linda are all pretty developed characters. Like you, you get a sense of who they are. Can you name any well, of we the talked about, Friday the Thirteenth? We talked characters? about how I, I forget what conversation we're having, but that in Friday the Thirteenth, the star is, is Jason, is the bad guy, yeah. and you root for the bad guy. And that comes later. We'll talk about that when we talk about the sequels to this movie. And in Halloween, you're rooting for Laura. You're rooting for... Right. You're rooting you don't for, want to root for Michael Myers. You don't want to root for Michael Myers, but because there's no character development in the Friday I, the 13th, you root for the, the villain. Well, and, when we saw, and we'll talk about that because we will go into I will make him review Friday the 13th. Okay. Because, um, yeah. you know, I'm a big... I'm a big, like, Jason Voorhees, like, I love the Friday the 13th movies. Super fan. Super fan. I mean, obviously, we love Michael Myers here. We're big horror people, but we have a lot of horror um, stuff all around our home, and it's year-round, not just during the Halloween season, but th- this 
film um, in particular, it stands up. It will stand up, continue to stand up. One of the scariest figures in, like, in horror. And and it's so simple. It's like, you want to like it's a Captain if, if, I'm any, if I'm any filmmaker at this time, I'm smacking myself in the face saying, "Why didn't I come up with this?" It's so simple. It's easy. It's but it like it's inexpensive. I'll end on this. A couple of stories about the production of this movie because you know I love me. A couple of stories about the production of this film. Um, Michael Myers is played by five people, potentially six. Five people over the course of the movie. Mainly Nick Castle playing the shape. Um, he's played by Tommy Lee Wallace, the producer of the film in uh, some scenes. He's played by Tony Moran, who uh, was the face actor for <laughs> Michael um, because Nick Castle didn't want his face to be on film. And he is played by Deborah Hill when she's the kid she's, hand. She's the kid hand. Yep. And uh, he's played by Dog Handler when he kills the dog. And Lester. we are we were watching the movie, reviewing the movie with our dog, and I was like, you can tell that the dog was not hurt or scared because our dog didn't react mm-hmm. to this, and he loves when dogs are on TV. He didn't react negatively to any of the noises that the dog was making. So they did a good job because yeah. to a human ear, I was like, oh no, but to a dog's ear, they're like, what? And it's rumored at one point that John Carpenter himself donned the mask, but that's never proven. If I, if I was directing this, I would totally don the mask. Mm-hmm. Um, Tommy Lee Wallace would go on to direct Halloween 3, which will be an interesting one for us to go into. Um, Nick Castle would go on to direct some other movies that I can't remember the name. He was, you know, direct some stuff. Uh, I'll get back to that when I Google it later on. But Deborah Hill goes on to produce a number of big movies. And John Carpenter goes on to direct uh, many horror movies, uh, claiming the title Master of Horror. And Jamie Lee Curtis struggles for a little bit after this movie. She struggles to find work. Um, She was often worried about getting typecast because because Janet Lee was typecast after Psycho, and she kind of was for a while. She was typecast in a lot of uh, crappy horror movies. and uh, But she did a fantastic job in Freaky Friday. Yes, and <laughs> it was like around that time, like in the, uh, in the 90s or the 80s, or early 90s, where she changed her persona to be uh more into like dramas and comedies and things like that oh she hit the mom phase of her mm-hmm. career and yep. she played like most moms but then she returned to the franchise in halloween h20 and we're thankful for her yes and i can't wait to review halloween h20 it's been a while since i've seen that movie so i'm excited to get into that i will leave us on the story of the mask and it's a story i'm sure many people have heard before it's a, a pretty common story but it's interesting nonetheless there were three options for uh, what to get in terms of the mask because Carpenter sent Tommy Lee Wallace out to a Halloween shop, a mask store, and said, just pick something up that is faceless because we want Michael Myers or the shape to just be this faceless creature. Um, so Tommy Lee Wallace was initially going to get a Richard Nixon mask, like those one of those caricature Nixon masks. But then they didn't want it to seem like Halloween was like a political commentary or a satire or something. Uh, 
Then they were going to do a clown mask with the red hair, which we end up seeing earlier in the film as Michael's first mask when he's a kid. Um, it was going to be that, and then they didn't want it to uh, be comical. So then Tommy Lee Wallace sees this Captain Kirk mask that is supposed to be modeled after William Shatner, but does not really look like William Shatner. And he buys the mask for $1.98. He buys three of the masks, spray paints it white, takes off the sideburns, paints over uh, the eyebrows, and messes up the hair a little bit. And thus we get our iconic Michael Myers mask. They really screwed up because they never got the mask right after that. And it cost them $2 to create the mask that we see that the Funko Pop is wearing. And the mask that we see is on the uh, picture on my water bottle. They never got it right. And that's going to be one of the bigger criticisms I'm going to have of a lot of these sequel movies is that it's so simplistic the way they just stumbled on this mask and they've never been able to recreate it. Like even in the new one, it still doesn't look like how it looked in the but first But if we're movie. thinking about like, they're, they're trying their best, like again, you know, I mean, they like, should have made more than one and wrote down the steps to get where they got. Yeah. Um, but that's not something you think about when you think you're making like just, a one-off movie. They, well, they just stumbled on it. Yeah. And it was just like a lightning in a bottle. Lightning in a bottle. Lightning in a bottle. Um, William Shatner never knew that the mask was based on his likeness until years later. Uh, he met John Carpenter at a Comic-Con. And uh, what do you think was William Shatner's reaction to John Carpenter saying, hey, where's John my Carpenter? money? Nope. <laughs> he said, oh, OK. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, did not acknowledge where's Carpenter my money? at all. That's my likeness. Um, he did not acknowledge Carpenter but, at all. Uh, if you're watching this movie after we've just spoiled the entire thing for you, hopefully you've seen this movie before. It's worth a it's it's, it's worth, worth a, watch. a watch. It's worth a review. It's worth a review. It's Maybe you want to review. If we we told you something that you didn't know um, before you watch this podcast, please let us know. Like that's something we or think if we missed anything that you think is important because I don't want to miss anything. Yeah, super important. If I'm right. Give us some likes. That scene so, at the beginning, the first cut, the toy or mask, and then the cut to the sweater. I'm right. And we're going to go watch that right now. So, lastly, before we get out of here, Bree, would you uh, put this on a list of your top 100 movies of all time? I, I totally think I would. I would and too. I think it'd be high up. I think it'd be Definitely high up. Definitely not the first best movie because we all know that. Nothing is first until we go through all of them. Yes. Uh, I would agree. I think that this deserves a place on the list. And it's right that our first episode is a movie that we put on the list. Now, when we get to the sequels, might be a different story. But uh, we will get there. Um, we forgot a segment. An important segment. Oh, if Breeze you treats. are wanting to watch this movie and review it, I have some options for you. This is Breeze Treats. Usually we're going to have it at the beginning, but we forgot. Um, I recommend, like, pop yourself a good bowl of popcorn with the movie theater butter. 
If you could get one of those old timey ones where you put it on the stove and it pops Jiffy like that, pop. Jiffy Pop, get some of that. Mm. Also, um, some pumpkin seeds you're going to want to get. If you can't get them, they're not in season right now. You can't go out and get a pumpkin and carve it and get the seeds out. Um, go get some pumpkin seeds, toss them in some olive oil. You need some seasoning salt, pepper, garlic powder. Mm. With the make sure you saturate in olive oil, roast them in the oven at 375 until they get to a, like a dark brown color. Don't burn them. They're delicious. Anthony mm -hmm. can attest. They're they are delicious. And I eat them every Halloween. Yes. Because we do carve a pumpkin. Every we tried Halloween. our darndest to make the pumpkin from the first, like the first scene. It of got this movie. moldy. Yeah, our pumpkin molded. That was like super was weird. Super we fast. We didn't put it outside. I suggested we put it outside. Anthony did not want, I didn't want to. Want the squirrels getting it? So it got really moldy in our kitchen. It was really gross. Yeah, um, it, it fell it was, apart. It was really gross, like leaking and everything. Yeah, we made like a critical error in the construction of the pumpkin in its nose and lip fell off so we'll try again this coming halloween but um i hope you enjoyed um our review podcast um, we'll be, yeah so we'll be back next week with halloween 2 uh electric boogaloo <laughs> i wish that's what the subtitle <laughs> was um we'll be back with halloween 2 as we end uh please 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 Throw us a like, throw us some comments, throw us some, I don't know, subscriptions on the YouTube. Uh, you can always follow us on Instagram at review underscore pod. I think that's what our Instagram, we'll, we'll put it in the, into the description and the podcast notes. Um, follow us on Instagram. Uh, I run the Instagram, however, uh, you know... He'll probably give it to me because I am better. I probably will. Uh, the idea is to give some updates as to, like, what our schedule's going to be when we're dropping episodes. Yeah, we'll probably try to drop episodes weekly. One, once a week. Um, if we get super ambitious, maybe more than that. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to try to not overwhelm you with the amount of Halloween. Like, my... First instinct. We might break it up. Yeah, we're going to have to break it up because my first instinct, I don't want this to be a Halloween podcast yes. for like two months. And then part, <laughs> part of my inspiration for wanting to start the podcast was to talk about the Halloween movie. So we'll get there. We might break it up in between here we're and there. We're going to break it up with stuff so, Brie wants to talk about. Follow us on Instagram, review underscore pod. You can follow myself on Twitter uh, at gldtv one and I you can follow Bree on Twitter as well. I think it's like. crispy leftist. <laughs> uh, crispy spelled like crispy and leftist like the political ideology. <laughs> we'll, we'll put all of the, uh, the links down in the description in the podcast notes. Uh, Great. I think we are, I think we're high knocked five. out for today. So high five. We got to go take care of a dog. So, uh, exit music. And Mothman says goodbye. And that's it.